safe space where healing might take place where everyone is valued. Giving tools to maintain where equity matters. Less talk, more action, where anyone is welcome. Don't send them home packing, this is strong talk. Where conversation pops off, speak life, reflect hope, promote choice and love, folk. Strong talk, real talk, no jokes, recovery, culture, community. Let's go. Hello, welcome to Strong Talk, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of equity, diversity, and family as it relates to mental health and addictions. A space not only to talk about challenges, but to explore and create space for solutions. I'm your host, Vic Armstrong, and I want to thank you all for joining me on this journey. I'm joined today by my guest, Philip Cooper, as we call him Change Agent Cooper, Executive Director at Operation Gateway, a boots-on-the-ground reentry service provider leveraging lived experience to decrease recidivism. Philip, welcome, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Always good to see you and hear from you, Change Agent. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is always good to see you. You always have on a, a you know, a message shirt. You know, I love a good message t-shirt. And so you always have you always have what a good message shirt. So I'd love love to see that. You know, it's good to catch up with you because you have been doing big things, man. Tell us, tell us what tell, tell me a little bit about the organization first. And I want to get I really want to get into your story, but tell me about the organization that you're leading now. Oh yeah. So um Operation Gateway, man, grassroots. You know, um, I didn't start out with a vision to be in the grassroots. Oh. I was just a person who had lived and survived incarceration who had survived, you know, uh, uh, living in, you know, drug infested neighborhoods. So I had all this lived experience. And then, you know, after getting out of prison, going and getting a job in the, uh, at the community college, I, I already knew a lot of these gaps. You see, mm-hmm. like they were talking about disparities and gaps and services in my mind. I already had ideas because I knew what it was like for me. You did. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is I have these, these, um, these programs that I was doing from, from organization to organization. And each time, whether it would be a substance use disorder focused program or a justice impacted folk, you know, program, I will always implement like some type of reentry component. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, but it was never my organization. So reentry was just like an add on as, as, as time allows. And mm-hmm. it got to the point to where I was just fed up with it because I was seeing really, Black men be the ones who got it the worst because, yeah. you know, we make up uh, uh, almost half the prison population in, in, in North Carolina. And so yeah. I was seeing all of these people that was just falling in the gaps and I had to answer the call. You did. And, uh, yeah. and it eventually uh, started, a, a, a you know, a nonprofit and um got a board who was all behind me because they had seen the work that I had been doing over the years. And, and here we are, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yep. well, look, so now you you didn't have a change agent Cooper, um, you know, when you were trying to to to, to re-enter, you know, back into the mainstream society, uh, talk a little bit about your journey. How did you end up getting incarcerated? And then what's that journey been like for you? Well, man, I'm going to tell you, like, uh, re- first and foremost, and I hope to say this multiple times while on the podcast today, and thank mm-hmm. you so much for having me and being a voice Absolutely. for the returning citizens. I don't take it lightly. But reentry has to has to start. Reentry services have have to start prior to a person being released. It uh-huh. must happen prior to the person being released. It don't start the day that they get released. Right. So the thing that happened with me is is that I get out. I was already like under the gun trying to get life together, trying to get a resume, trying to get a job and all of this stuff. So for me, there was not a change agent Cooper that was working with me. But what I will say is I, I stayed with my dad. 
And mm. that's one thing that I had that a lot of people don't have. And that's one of the social determinants of health. When you start looking at social and community mm. context, you did. I had a father and then having a, the, the environment that I was living in was in his house, he had a four bedroom house. He's a Vietnam veteran with a dog and his son moves in. You dig? So it was different for me. It was different for me with the housing component, but everything else was a struggle. You know, black man yeah. with a violent conviction on his record. You know, there was a, a fast food restaurant that we was at, uh, we took the kids to uh, uh, over the weekend at the birthday party sleepover. And every time I'm at that particular restaurant, I remember when I used to work there. And in my mind coming out the penitentiary, I told myself, I was like, you know, when I get out, I'm going to get a job, but I'm going to work at this restaurant because it's easier to get jobs at fast food restaurants than anything else. I'm going to work at this fast food restaurant while I'm looking for a better job. Man, that fast food restaurant wouldn't even give me a job when I came home because of my record. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was hard. It was hard. Yeah. My mental health services didn't start immediately after prison when it should have. And it could have if there was a link liaison intermediary between, um, which is kind of, which is what we do now. You know, my mental right. health services didn't start until maybe about a year after the fact, after I had already had a panic attack. You see, yeah. like I remember when the movie Lincoln had came out. I'll never forget Abraham Lincoln. That was a pretty good movie, by the way. They didn't pay me for that promotion. But uh, I was in the movie theater watching Lincoln and I had a panic attack. And the person that I was at the movies with didn't know what was wrong. She need to call right. Abraham Lincoln. I had to rush out of the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I love about you, too, is um, when I first met you was that you real. You know, you you don't you don't try to sugarcoat things. You know, you you talk about things in very real life terms, which also resonates with a lot of the folks that you deal with because they don't feel like they're dealing with the system. They feel like they're dealing with a, a real person. Um, and you have been really, really involved in peer work, community health worker work. And you talk all the time about how important that lived experience is. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Why is that lived experience so important? And how does that play into the work you do now? Well, you know, in the in the in the black community, especially now, I say marginalized communities because you can get the same issues in rural areas. That's Absolutely. Mostly, you yeah. know, poor white folks that you can yep. get in the city, black folks. You know how it is. You yep. know, all skin folk ain't kin folk, you know. But I'll tell you this, man, whenever when when it got down to the point of me being willing to talk about my my addiction issues and my mental health issues. It took somebody that looked like me that I thought understood me to really mm -hmm. open up. And so yeah. what I'm saying is, is it is lived experience is required if we are to sustainably slay stigma. We mm -hmm. will not sustainably slay stigma with, with grants that end in a year or two years. Right, we have right, to right, change right. the mindsets of communities. And in order to change the mindset of communities, it takes community leaders that with lived experience. Now, everybody yeah. ain't got to have lived experience, but lived experience needs to be at the table because for people from the outside that's in them trenches, them people that's, that's going to detox or need to get into detox, they got to know who they can call who ain't going to judge them. And that right. tends to be those people with lived experience. I can have a conversation with somebody about me being geeked up out of my mind at the motel, you know what I'm saying? And it resonates with somebody. So they're like, oh man, he done did that too? And the next thing you know, they ready to open up about everything, bro. Yeah. I done seen it. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I remember, um, I guess it's been two or three years ago now when I was riding with you in, in uh, Asheville. Um, and I remember somebody called you on the phone. It was somebody who, who just got released and was trying to get 
situated. And I remember you, um, you said to me, uh, you know, I had to stop and run by, I think you had to run by Walmart, you buy a pair of pants for this guy so you go to an interview. And then you talked about, you know, helping folks get their birth certificates. And yeah. one of the comments I remember you making was, um, you know, some people can come out of, um, can come out of prison and all they need is a pair of boots to go to work. Yep. But for a black man, it's a, it's a very different experience. And, trying to, and it kind of goes back to your experience with the, with the fast food restaurant. But the thing that resonated with me about spending time with you that day was you were getting down in the trenches with folks, not telling them, go do this and go do that. But you were getting yeah. in there with them and and, you know, helping them. You know, we tell people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, but in your very real example, it was sometimes that's not enough. And it, but you were willing to get down in there with them. And that to me speaks to that that lived experience. But what is that, where does that kind of mindset and motivation come from? Well, it it, it really comes from like when I was in prison, Vic. I, when I was in prison, so my peer support experience started while I was working in prison. I was a, yeah. a what they call a peer counselor with the a, a yeah. new direction program. And so when I was in there and I was working and I was still young myself, you know, I was 20, 20, what, 26. But yeah. I was working with some of these young guys that was coming from Pope Youth Center, gladiator school, you know, gang banging. Just ain't never had no type of positive male role yeah, model, yeah. especially one who understood what they was going through. And so what happened was I started to see the consistency in what they was needing. They was needing mentorship. Yeah. They was needing soft skills. I call them essential skills. I don't really like to call them soft skills. I just say that because most people get it when I say soft skills. But yeah. They missing net and and they didn't know how to transfer what skills they had from the streets to to to, to you know the workforce and so that's where the, the 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 passion comes from because I know there's a lot of young men that mm -hmm. just ain't never been taught brother they coming from single parent households you know and that's another issue that we have because a single parent household yeah. is the biggest contributor to poverty because it's yeah. one income you see and so yeah. me understanding that and understanding that poverty is what precedes the criminogenic activities. That's where my passion comes from. And at the end of the day, like you said, and I appreciate you using that example about the boots. You know, mm -hmm. some people telling them to, to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And I'm out there like, let me make sure you got some boots, bro. You yeah, know what I'm saying? We, we, yeah. yeah, I'm on boot finder mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know another thing, too, is that, um, and, uh, of course, we follow each other on social media. And I know you, you one of the things that you always do is you always remind everyone, including yourself, where you came from. And you will say, you know, I remember when I was here and now, you know, now, you know, I'm, I'm doing this now, I'm, you know, at a, 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 you know, this event with, you know, state representatives, or I'm, you know, doing something with SAMHSA. And I think that also says to other folks, if I can do this, you can do this. Mm -hmm. um, which I really appreciate. Uh, what What is your motivation for that? Is is that is that the reason you that you focus on that? Yeah, that's a that's a big that's I would say that's the biggest part is to instill hope. But the other yeah. reason is is to is to start ramping up some 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 real life sustainability plans because mm -hmm. like Philip Philip Cooper can't do it all. 
I know that, you know, it, it, that I can't be the answer for all things. So I got to help raise up an army. And I know there are other people like me out there. They just waiting on that hope shot. You did. And yeah. I remember one thing you had said, I forget what article it was, but you had said in the article about diversifying the mental health workforce. And one of the ways that you had mentioned that was a realistic, more timely way to diversify the mental health workforce was by getting more peer support specialists on the scene. And so yeah. what I yeah. want to show these people is that, you know, look at me. I got a, I, I have co-occurring, you know, I take medication. I have survived trauma. I have a sponsor. I have a therapist. And this is where I'm at with my real life, homie. And I was in the same place that you was at. I need yeah. them to hear that over and over and over again and then raise up more because yeah. the more people that we raise up, the more stigma slayers we have. It's, and it's becoming a movement too, bro. Like I'm telling you, man, and I'm optimistic, you know, next month is one of my favorite months. I'm counting down to it now, you know, recovery, national recovery. Yeah. Month. And it's a lot of us. It's a lot of us. And you're you're uh you're sure you all you know you you refer to yourself as change agent Cooper. You got I've got a couple of your shirts with change agent. I think I it got a hoodie with with change agent on it. Um so what what does that that phrase change agent mean to you? Yeah, man. So I remember uh and shout out to NC State's Institute for Emerging Issues and, and Sarah, Sarah Hall. You know, she gave me an opportunity to to uh, co-chair a statewide task force called the Talent First North Carolina Task Force. And, and they had asked me that question. And it was around that time last year that I finally developed a definition of change agent that was universal. Uh, a change agent is a person who sacrifices to fight for the underdog. That underdog can be somebody who is wrestling with addiction or mental health challenges. That underdog can be that student that's in a single parent household with mama working or daddy working two jobs and ain't got enough time to be two people. Ain't they ain't omnipresent? The underdog can be, you know, that 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 student, that that athlete on the team, you know, that that lacks something, has a coach, but they need coaching outside of the football field. You know, the underdog. Can can be that person that's graduating high school that ain't going on a four-year college track that needs some type of innovation so that they can have gainful employment. The underdog can be that veteran. You feel me? That veteran that just came home from the military, you know, and, and hasn't been able to, you know, reintegrate into society as smoothly as they wanted to. The underdog can be that single, that single parent that's trying to figure it out. You know, we North Carolina is a childcare desert. You dig? People can't get childcare the way they need to. You know, underdogs can be anybody. And that change agent is that person who sacrifices to fight for that underdog, that person that can be in the boardroom and bring up fitting all test strips. Like, hey, y'all, I know we meeting about North Carolina Department of Commerce matters, but just so y'all know, people dying from fitting all overdoses, I hope y'all know what numbers to call, 988, if it's a mental health emergency. And fitting all is going in all kind of stuff. So if you have people in your community or people that you relate to, you know, you can email me about that. Everybody don't even got to know, but I can be your point of contact to get you connected to resources. Make it awkward for some, but make it savior for others. You did Because fitting all killing people. You feel me? left and right. right we need to make sure people know who to call for what resource you know you i don't got to be the resource for everything but i bet you i got some numbers you can call <laughs> <laughs> you know i always said um you know about myself i said you know in, in order for me to be successful in what i do i i feel like i've got to be uh part businessman part politician part clinician part preacher you got all four of those, didn't you? And the preacher was coming out just a minute ago. Uh, but you know what? That that also uh, leads me to another question because you you are not shy about the fact that you are a, a, a person of faith. 
Uh, what role does your faith play in your journey? And then what role do you see uh, the faith-based organizations being able to play in this sustainable uh, community that you talk about? Yeah, man. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely a Jesus person. You know, um, I just seen the movie Jesus Revolution. I loved it. You know, um, I believe that Jesus would be frequenting places where they're passing out clean supplies. I believe mm. I believe Jesus would be in those spaces. I definitely do, my brother. Um, I I would say this. You know, being a being a black uh, uh person who is outspoken about Christianity has its its pros and cons in Western North Carolina because not all black people are Christians. A lot of black people have been hurt by the church. You see, right. so it provides a, a a way for me to to fight for the underdog on both sides. So I get to be a person who's fighting for the underdog of of, of church faith leaders who wasn't a part of hurting people, but they're mm. taking the run of it because they're a faith leader. But I also right. get to be with the underdogs who are those people who have been church hurt. You see, and, and I get to be a, a a person who is willing to 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 give them Jesus. You know, uh, I keep my I got my celebrate recovery Bible over there. You know, it's it's like being able to be the bridge you see yeah, yeah. so faith plays a role in it because like i wouldn't be able to do this work for as long as i have if it had not been for the lord on my side i would have yeah. lost my mind bro you know when especially looking at the politics of the work you know hell i, I had more more uh 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 uh, um, some of the people I was in with prison who had more ethics and, 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 and morals than some of the people in corporate America. Like I see, mm -hmm. I see more backbiting and stuff to where it's like, dang man, that was, that was phony. Like you just said that about this person and I seen you with this person. How you feel? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? You don't do yeah. like that on the yard, on the yard, you get held accountable. So it's right. like, you know, at the end of the day, like my faith is, is my fuel. Jesus is my, is my transportation. You know, I don't overwhelm people with Jesus. I make sure they know I love the Lord. I mean, I got a, I, I love CR bracelet on. I like got subtle pieces for people to want to ask a question or whatever. I don't push religion. I let people know where I stand, but I'm also outspoken enough to the point that people understand that I'm not what they was hurt by. Yeah. Because I was hurt yeah. by them too. Yeah. When I see you, um, when I see you reference your faith, um, either when I hear you speak about it or when I see you represent on social media, my takeaway from it is that it in part keeps you grounded. It keeps you humble. It reminds you of where you came from. It reminds you, um, you know, we always talk about a higher power and it's, and it's, you know, you're reminding us all that you, you, you know, you can't do this on your own. Um, and however you relate to your or identify or define your higher power, uh, we all need that higher power in order to 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 make it um, because we can't you can't go from rock bottom to the areas that you've risen to uh, on your own strength. And so, I, you know, so that's the way I that's the way I take it. I also um, I also like the fact that you don't try to push uh, your beliefs on other people, but you you do lead by example. And I think that's, that's always important as you relate to, you know, there's a lot of people that, that don't do that, or at least the example they're setting is not one that we want to follow. Um, so one final question I guess I'd have for you is um, to anyone out there, um, whether they are uh, someone who's now, who's coming out of incarceration or someone who's struggling in any aspect of their life, what would be your message to them about, uh, their their ability to recover and, and rise above their circumstances. 
Well, one of the things I learned when I was in treatment myself was the opposite of addiction is connection. You know, I will let people know it's all about connections and connections with the right people. You know, um, having those people in your circle who who genuinely want to see you well and where to find those kind of people. You know, um, there are places to find them in, you know, recovery meetings. You can find them in church. You can find them in support groups. You know, you can find them in online meetings. Right. Mm -hmm. You can dial nine eight eight. You know, it's about that connection. You did. Um, and then reminding them that part, you can't do it by yourself. And it's okay not to do it by yourself because at yeah. the end of the day, like my, my worst enemy is me. So I need somebody to help me keep me in check. And it ain't got to have to be no big old circle of people too. like reminding you, like you do not have to have a ton of people in your circle, you know, but having some people who genuinely care for you and want to see you well and vice versa, iron sharpens iron. That's what has worked for me. You know, people who will help me live life on life's terms because life will show up. And when it does, who are you going to call? Do you have a person that you can call? If you don't, your first mission from Change Agent Cooper is to frequent those places where you can identify someone who genuinely cares for you that you can call on in a hard time. I could not have said it better myself. I, I will tell you, uh, Brother Cooper, you are one of those people that I think for anyone, anyone who meets you one time, um, they're not the same after that. Your energy is <laughs> infectious. Um, you know, I think everyone who has a conversation with you walks away wanting to be a better person. Uh, both for themselves and for, uh, for anyone around them who is less fortunate than them. So, you know, I applaud you for the work that you've done. Every time, you know, we 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 keep in touch, but every time I hear from you, you've taken another step. You're doing something different. You're doing something new. You're stretching yourself. Uh, been a couple of times, you know, I know you reached out to me and said, hey, should I do this? And I might say, uh, you know, you might want to slow down a little bit. Doesn't stop you, though. You <laughs> keep right on moving, so. So I appreciate that about you, man. You you are yeah. doing good work and doing big things. And I, I'm I'm just so proud of your journey, man. I cannot, I cannot tell you enough how proud I am of the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You you definitely met me at a time when I was like trying to figure out how to build a foundation in this work. And now it's a whole live organization and, and stuff. Yeah. So thank you. That yeah. means a lot coming yeah. from you. Yeah, thank you. Look, thank you for being my guest today, uh, Philip Cooper. And thank you to everyone for joining us today for this conversation on the Strong Talk podcast. Uh, until next time, I'm your host, Vic Armstrong, reminding you that this is Strong Talk. We talk a lot about the need for equity in our mental health system. Equity and health equity in particular, at the core, are about ensuring that every individual has a fair and just opportunity to achieve their best health outcome, to live the healthiest life. How we apply the lens of what is fair and just has historically depended on the perception of the policymakers, payers, and service providers. It has not historically taken into account the perspective and lived experience of those whom we are charged with serving. We attempt and incorporating their perspective by applying the lens of equity. But that, to me, misses the mark. Your lens is still your interpretation of what I feel or what I want. But my voice, my voice is unmistakable. When you have my voice, my presence at the table, you don't have to interpret my perspective. 
Despite your most diligent effort, you cannot substitute for or recreate my voice. Behavioral health interventions, treatment modalities, and crisis response services should be person-centered. Suicide prevention, for example, should be about more than detaining someone when they are in crisis. Yes, crisis intervention is about preventing a person from attempting to harm themselves or others. And yes, mental health legislation allows people expressing suicidal thoughts to be involuntarily committed, but assessing risk at the individual level or the community level involves considering not only risk factors, but also protective factors, including the strength and support of peers, family, and caregivers. Effective mental health systems understand the impact of stigma and discrimination against individuals living with mental health challenges. Effective mental health systems also understand how the availability of peer support services or the presence of family members and caregivers can offset that discrimination and normalize an otherwise traumatic experience. We can address many of our access and equity issues, create more resources in communities where people live, work, play, and pray, and support efforts to build a workforce that mirrors the population served by acknowledging that we have a ready-made but underutilized workforce of individuals with lived behavioral health experience, Black, White, Latino, Asian, Native American. We have to utilize the peer and caregiver workforce and pay them a living wage. By giving voice to those with lived experience, we can reimagine our approach to behavioral health. Without the intersectionality of clinical expertise and the voice of lived experience, our approach will be ill-advised ill-informed, ill-fated, and we will speak to the opinions of intellectuals, the desires of legislators, the monetary demands of payers, and the access issues of providers, rather than those of consumers and families. While we recognize the importance of resilience, we also acknowledge that people are only as resilient as the opportunities available to them. And because they are resilient does not mean that we should depend upon their resilience to balance our business model or expect them to patiently wait in silence. Historically, marginalized individuals, whether marginalized due to race, ethnicity, or diagnosis, should be heard. Their voices and the voices of those who love them should inform our policies and practices. And they're not looking for a voice for the voiceless. They're looking for an opportunity to have their voices heard. We have the resources to build a better system. We need to only listen to the experts, the real experts. And that is Strong Talk. What's the word? What's the word? Word, word, strong talk, strong talk. What's the word? What's the word? What's the word? Yeah, yeah. What's the word? Strong talk, strong talk.